Welcome to Starting Points, a podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. Starting Points is designed to start or restart your study of the Word of God. Each week, we look at different books or sections of the Bible, giving an overview of each of those books or sections with the goal of giving us a starting point as we study God's Word. Today, we're going to look at the book of Numbers. Numbers was written by Moses. It is one of the first five books of the law, the Pentateuch. And it is about the march to the promised land. It gets its name Numbers from the censuses, the counts that are taken in it. Uh, The first eight chapters are about the preparation for the march. Uh, You know, they, they cross the Red Sea. They go not towards the promised land, but actually further into the wilderness to this mountain, Sinai, where God makes a covenant with the people. I will be your God. You will be my people. If you keep all my commands, I will protect you. I will prosper you. I will be your defense and your shield. And the people agreed. God also gave them the Ten Commandments and gave them the law. And it was there at the mountain that the people agreed to this covenant, this agreement. And then from there, they begin the march towards the promised land. So the first eight chapters are the preparation for the march. Chapters 9 and 10 is about moving out. And when you have that many people, it takes two chapters to do that. And then chapters 11 through 12 is Sinai to uh, Kadesh. And you can get in, if if your Bible has maps in the back, or you could just like, you know, Google search, you know, map of the Exodus or something like that, and you'll find these these points on the map, but it's the Sinai Peninsula south of what we think of as Israel, kind of in between Israel and Egypt and Saudi Arabia. So uh, chapters 11 through 12 is Sinai to Kadesh. Chapters 13 and 14 deals with a failure of the people at Kadesh. And then from that failure, uh, chapters 15 through 25 covers a 40-year period of wandering. And, and what happened was that they got to Kadesh and they sent 12 spies into the land. And 10 of the 12 said, this land is too big. The people are too powerful. We cannot take it. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, you know what? God's with us. God will do the work. He, he led us out of Egypt. He freed us from our captivity. He, he miraculously delivered us from the Pharaoh's army. We crossed the Red Sea. We have seen his power as he gave us the the law, as he made his covenants with us, we can do this with God's help. But the people listened to the other spies, the 10 others. And they failed there. And so for 40 years they wandered and only four events in those 40 years are recorded. And then a new generation comes up and prepares to enter the land, chapters 26 through 36. Now, the human story in the book of uh, Numbers is the journey to the promised land, failure and hope. Faith versus fear, standing firm in the case of those two spies that stood. And, and, and then also there's a story about Korah's rebellion, you know, the opposite of the two sides. I would say that Korah's rebellion, by the way, is a story that's been much abused uh, in recent years in the church. So if you're reading through it, um, I would say tread carefully there. And I'm happy to talk with anybody about that one particularly. Uh, but I've, I've found that that story in particular, while I think it is still applicable, and I think there are lessons to be learned, um, I think it's a story that's been much abused. Now, what are the landmines? You know, the, the, it's a story of failure and hope, faith versus fear. It's a journey to the promised land, but there's a bunch of landmines in it. Well, first of all, there's the landmines of Balaam. 
Numbers 22 through 24. And Balaam has several landmines. <laughs> the, the, the first and the most famous is that if you've ever heard the story of Balaam's donkey, or in the King James Version, it's Balaam's ass, and everybody loves that joke. You know, first-year first year Bible college students think that's really funny. They can be provocative or something like that. Um, but Balaam's donkey, and that God, uh, there's this guy Balaam, and he was like a prophet, but he was like a bad prophet. Like he, God would speak through him, and he would say, like, I can't do anything unless God gives me the power to do it. But then also, he had no interest in doing the things of God. It, I, I don't claim to understand why God was speaking through this guy, but I don't claim to understand why God speaks through me, so whatever. But anyway, he's going this place that God doesn't want him to go. And so God puts an angel in the middle of the road with a sword in his hand to kill him. But he can't see this angel. But Balaam's donkey sees the angel and moves aside. And actually, like, basically the implication is that there's like, it's kind of like a rocky pass. Like recently we were in um, Bend. And uh, if you go to the Lava Butte um, National Monument just off the highway south of Bend, you can go on this trail and you can, you know, the trail will cut through and there's like stone on each side. And the implication is, is the donkey to get around the angel basically bashes Balaam into the stone on the side of the trail and then goes around and Balaam gets really mad. So he's like hitting the donkey. And so the Lord gives the donkey the ability to speak miraculously. Nobody's claiming this is anything less than miraculous, by the way. And, and the donkey basically says like, look, I just saved your life, man. Get off me. So that's the, the first landmine is because people that have a problem with the supernatural will say, oh, this is fanciful, this is mythological, whatever. There's also this other landmine is that Balaam gives the king of this people who is an enemy of the Israelites some advice. Hey, you want to take him down? The king wanted to pay Balaam to, as a prophet, curse the people. And he said, I can't. I can't say anything that God doesn't allow me to say, and God will not let me curse these people. But I'll tell you what you can do here's the thing you do. You get your best looking young gals to go over and flirt with their guys. And then say, hey, come back, check out where I live. And then they'll say, hey, uh, this is how we worship our gods. And a lot, I mean, I almost say a majority, you know, from ancient times up until fairly recently, and in some places to this day, the worship of pagan idols was directly connected with sexual sin. Um, you know, in the New Testament, it'll speak about prostitutes, but we think of prostitutes like somebody who's, you know, just walking down McLaughlin or 82nd or something. But the truth is, is that like prostitution in, in their culture was almost always linked to uh, the temples and, and, and paganism. And so the prostitutes weren't just walking the street necessarily. They were, you go to the temple and to worship, quote unquote, you would sleep with these prostitutes. And, and so they would say, hey, you want to know how we worship our God? I'll show you. It's a lot of fun. And so that's how you'll get the people into idolatry and turning away from the God that protects them. And so there are people who have a problem with that story because it, it presents women as, you know, the evil temptresses that are tempting the good men. And it's a, it's a very patriarchal, anti-woman story. I don't see it that way. I think it's one of those things that you choose to see what you want to see in it. And certainly there have been people who have an anti-women misogynist view of the world who have portrayed it that way. Um, but I've also talked to some very, very feminist women who go, oh, no, there's totally men and women out there who are out to get people away from following God, you know, uh, in that means. So those are landmines you have to deal with. Now, what does the book clear up? Um, it clears up that grace was needed 
and grace was given by God. Even in the Old Testament, because people in the Old think, you know, the New Testament God's nice and loving, and the Old Testament God, he was mean and angry, and the God of grace is the God of the New Testament, the God of anger and the law is the God of the Old Testament. And yet God gave grace to his people, even in the Old Testament. Now, where is Jesus seen? Um, you know, the spies are kind of uh, analogs to Christians. Right now, there's an, these narratives in the world, and most people say, you know what, you can't do what God says. We can't do this. It can't happen. And there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who are standing up and saying, no, God is true. He said that he will bring us into the promised land. And, and when everybody else is saying, nope, we're not going to do what God said, there are two guys who stood up. And that's what Christians do. We stand up and we say, we believe in Jesus. We believe whatever Jesus says, even though it goes against what the world around us says. And most people are deceived, and most people will not enter the promised land, but true believers proclaim and invite. Come on, let's go in. Let's stand together. Let's follow Jesus. Also, the book of Numbers is a book of order. God has a plan. And there are times where we go, why aren't we doing this? Why are we? I've got to wait eight chapters just to prepare, and I've got to wait two more chapters to go. Let's get going. But God has a plan, and God has order. So we see Jesus uh, working through people, like the two spies who stood for what God had said. We see God's work in order, how he orders and organizes things. P some people think that, uh, you know, just because we're not for hierarchy, um, that, that God's against any kind of order or, or setup. And that's not just not true. We don't see that in the scripture. In fact, we see the opposite. So the book of Numbers um, is a, uh, it's a big book. It is a book that tells a story. Uh, it is a book that tells a very relatable story. It's a book that tells a very applicable story. Uh, do I feel bad sometimes that I skip over like some of the long lists of things? No, I don't. I'm just going to be honest, I don't. But I believe that there are many, many valuable things to be gained uh, by reading through the book of Numbers. Um, you know, and I do, I read the whole Bible. Uh, I admittedly read some parts more than others, but in the last, uh, in the last five years, I've read the whole Bible. And um, the book of Numbers is a fantastic book. It is worth and worthy of our study. If you've never studied the Bible before, I hope this has been a good uh, kind of an overview for you in the book of Numbers. If it's been a long time since you've read the Bible, maybe you stopped reading the Bible because books like Numbers and Deuteronomy were just like, whoa, I, I can't get my head around it. This is an invitation to get back into it. The Bible says the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's that power that we need so that our lives can be changed. And I believe that as we study the word of God, God speaks to us and he changes us through the power of his spirit. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. New episodes are released on Monday. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. You can find our podcasts and all of our other content on our website, faithonhill.com, on our social media, at Faith on Hill. And on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you just have to search Faith on Hill. We'll see you again for another episode of Starting Points.